Hey there, it's Matt from Generator. I would love for you to be able to listen to all of our new episodes as soon as they come out. So please make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or just head over to generatorpodcast.com. Also, if you like the show and want to support me, you can now leave me a tip with no membership necessary. It's just like tossing a buck or two into the hat of a street performer. So when you listen to an episode at generatorpodcast.com, you'll see a donate button right in the player. And please know that while it's never necessary, it's always greatly appreciated. So that's it. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. And now let's start the show. Obviously, if you listen to Generator, you know that I talk to a lot of photographers. It's my favorite style of visual art. But that's not all that Generator is. This week, I'm diving into another one of my passions, which is videography. My guest this week is Adam Metterville, and he has been making his living as a freelance videographer for the past 20 years or so. From filming hardcore music shows and skate parks and snowboard videos to YouTube series and weddings and corporate interviews and literally everything in between, Adam is a walking wealth of knowledge for all things video. You know, we talk about all of those things, but we also dive into things like Adam's love for fishing and kayaking or his favorite gear or quite frankly, why gear's not all that important. So come along with me and Adam as we sit and discuss videography. I think you're going to enjoy this, especially if you don't know anything about video. Let's start the show with Adam Metterville. Is it snowing where you are? Because it just started snowing here. Yeah, yeah. I woke up. There's a dusting. Yeah, yeah we got a dusting. Yeah. So it begins. Winter begins. The heat's on. Yeah, man. It's good. It's exciting though. I love. I love winter. You know, if you live in Maine, you have to love winter at least a little yeah. bit. Well, you know, you you make the choice, right? You live here. I've been. I was talking to someone the other day. I went out to see um, uh, Dave Pecunis out in Big Sky uh, nice. a couple weeks back. You know, I felt I fall in love with Big Sky. I fall in love with Montana. I'm like, I gotta get out here. I was doing a, I was doing a commercial project out there. So, um, I come back and I'm like, I could move to Montana. And then someone's just like, you know, it gets to be like 40 below in Montana. And I'm like, oh yeah, it wouldn't be any better than moving from Maine, would it? Exactly. But you know, you're going sideways. Montana's beautiful. Been there a bunch of times. Have you been out there? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been out there for some work projects and fun projects and. Any chance? says, any, "If anyone says Montana, sign me up. I'm in." Yeah, I was on a huge Yellowstone kick. Can you tell by all the denim? <laughs> oh, I was on this, you, huge, this huge Yellowstone kick for a while, and when I when I got out there, I was just like, "This is this is phenomenal." Like, I feel like I fell into the TV show, you know. And then um, we were able to. I stayed an extra day, and we went out into Yellowstone Park. Nice. Um, I had never been out there, so we were out there trying to photograph bison or wolves or whatnot and so uh just a quick story i had my little fuji and i had rented like the equivalent whatever they're like 70 to 200 is there 50 to 300 whatever it is in the in the crop sensor so yeah. i was like i'm gonna go out there and get my little telephoto lens and so i'm out there and dave pulls out you know his 1dx and the 600 mil- i never felt <laughs> 
like less of a man standing with my little with my camera. Which I thought was great, and I look over and I see this six hundred millimeter lens on an extender, and he's taking shots. And I was okay. I'll just put this. And I'll, <laughs> I'll see what you have to produce later on. I'm going to put my camera away. This is, this is adorable little camera that I have. So anyway, we can probably get started somewhere, but I never know how to start these things. So we'll just, we'll start where we start. It's Love good it. to see your face, man. Like I've you seen you I know. in a while since, I think since you came to the studio and helped me with the, uh, oh with the studio God. tours, the last time I saw you, right? Oh my God, that was like two years ago. It was like two years ago, for sure. You know, it's funny. I still utilize all that footage for <laughs> things that I that do. That was a fun shoot, man. I, I loved it. It was fun. I love doing it. But, you know, I really wanted to, I wanted to bring you on because my circle of photography and all the folks that I talked to, primarily photographers, but the deep dark side of me, you know, loves video as well. And I was like, <laughs> we don't talk to enough videographers and like cool videographers that do a ton of stuff. So as I started thinking, I was like, all right, how do I, how do I introduce Adam? How do I talk about what he does? I'm like, skate <laughs> punk, fisherman, van life, freelance mercenary with a camera, commercial, snowboarder, editor, gearhead, like bike snob. Like, I don't know how to describe it. So we'll just kind of throw it all out there like jacks and see what we can pick up. So what has been going on? I saw this summer you had Metterfest going on. You were fishing a lot. Um, You're out in the kayak. You're doing stuff for restoration. What is it that you do? What is it that you do? What is your job, Adam? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's like a that's a loaded question. And everyone asks me that. And it's very hard to answer because I'm doing a million different things at once. Um, I've learned to, I believe, embrace ADD a little bit. Um, I love my free time. I love my hobbies. I love, I love my job. I'm very lucky to say all those things in you know one sentence, one paragraph. But I mean, yeah, like the summer was really good. I kind of shifted gears the past few years in terms of my 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 focus and my attention. But um, just my hobbies have not. They've just been been going at a, at a trajectory of just like 1000% and fishing is one of those. I moved to Maine about five years ago, got big into kayak fishing, have a bunch of friends that do it too. And, oh man, I love spending time in that little motorized old town autopilot of mine. I have about probably about a thousand hours into it in the past three years and salt water, fresh water. Um, that's a huge passion of mine for sure. It's amazing. I wake up and, you know, I'll start scrolling stories and I'll see something and I'm like watching another sunrise or hanging out with my bald ego buddies <laughs> or like, you know, whatever it is posted three hours ago and it's you know, five in the morning. And I'm like, what is this maniac doing? He's just an absolute lunatic out there every morning uh, on the lake at some point. And I'm, you know, I haven't even yeah. rubbed anything out of my eyes yet. And I'm like, he's been up for hours, this maniac. Yeah, sunrise is a beautiful thing, you know, whether it's hiking, fishing. I love experiencing sunrises at any sacrifice of sleep needed. Now, I just saw you post a, a sunrise. Were you in Yosemite like yeah. two days ago? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think it was Thursday to Saturday. Yeah, so under okay. a week ago, I was in, I was in Yosemite. Um, I, kind of on a whim. I was over there for, I think, 10 days to a, maybe two weeks. And um, we're like, let's just go to Yosemite. And it was 
the best time to go. It was, I mean, I've never been to it and it was just like blew my mind. And I was like, we need to wake up and do a sunrise hike. <laughs> like, okay. I'm like, it's going to be sick. Trust me. You know, we went hiking like the night before for sunset. And then I was like, right. let's just wake up at like three 30 and just start hiking. You'll already will get into it. You're sore, but it'll be worth it. It was, it was, that place is very special. Now, were you doing um, were you doing still photos? Were you doing like time lapses? Because I know you do so many time lapses. Um, yeah. What was what was your intent to get everybody up at three thirty and get up there? I mean, a lot of the stuff, like a lot of like my outdoor nature stuff, rely. I, I shoot a lot of photos, and I'm lucky if I even do that because I'm right. usually just bringing my cell phone and just experiencing. And that's where I go to kind of reset and recharge my creativity. Cause you know, in an industry where there's a lot of high demand for your creativity, it gets sucked dry. It's not just like the fountain of youth. It's not endless. So that's where I go to kind of recharge. So for this trip, I went with one battery and one DSLR and just handheld at everything. You know, I'm just like, if, if I, if the, you know, if I see some good light, I'll shoot a photo of it. If not, to be in the backpack so it's just kind of like a casual tax write-off vacation that's that's such the dream because you know even when i go on a hike around here i'm like i might just possibly need this cable cam with me so <laughs> right? let me like, throw oh. that in my backpack you know i've got a a very light 70 to 80 pound backpack <laughs> here that i'll never use let me just yeah oh i've um, done that yeah it's it's all it's all years of like I brought all this crap up here and I took one photo with like my wide angle. I'm like, I don't need to go and bring like a 7,200, which weighs like four right. pounds in itself. And yeah, it just compounds and grows. So I've, I've toned it down and turned it into a minimalistic pack. I'm really, I'm really trying to get there. There's something to be said for that, right? Of uh, shooting mm -hmm. with what you got. And it's another reason why I kind of moved from Canon over to Fuji. Um, mm -hmm. For a lot of reasons, but with the, the, the Fuji stuff, it's just so much smaller, so much Comp more yeah, compact I sure. can get like four lenses two bodies in a messenger bag right and some people will be like yeah because you're using a kid's camera but then I'm just kind of <laughs> like well use the use the tools that you got and then let's do exactly. footage afterwards right so exactly. I'm I'm working my way to that one lens one body one battery thing mm -hmm. uh, but it's so zen I'm just I'm not there yet no, um, it's anxiety stricken too because you'll have some FOMO and be like, and I and I did on this trip, for example, I'm like, oh, I really wish because I have the 800 RF F11, yeah. great lens for hiking, you know, for those like that one compressed oh. shot. But um, yeah, a lot of different stuff. Like I wish I had a tripod so I could do my long exposure instead of like trying to bounce it on like <laughs> my cell phone propped up on a rock. And I'm like, you know, but you get creative and that's kind of the yeah. process of being creative and MacGyvering so stuff on the fly. Let's kind of talk about that a little bit because through the commercial projects that you and I have done together, like I always just sit back and I go, I want to watch how this guy <laughs> works, right? Because purely from from the creation standpoint, you're always you're always thinking one or two steps ahead mm -hmm. of where you want to be. And I don't know, you can tell me, I don't know if this comes from years of just running and gunning and shooting on the fly and just having that bag of tools be like, oh, this would be a great shot. This would be sick if I shot through this soda can across this way. Like you do some really interesting things or is it from storyboarding and prep? Where do you find your balance? Is it run and gun? Is it overthink and prepare? 
I know how like neuro spicy brains work. So I want to dig into yours a little bit and think about, you know, where does that creativity in the moment come from? Oh man. I mean, it's just like a, I hate to say it, but it's like a lot of procrastination. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really is like, I mean, I kind of wrap my head around like each shoot. I'm like, okay, I kind of need like this set of skill, like this, this kind of gear. And I just go into the environment because you never know what you're going to be shooting in, whether it's going to be like right. a closed in little dark, um, conference room or a beautiful open lobby with lots of natural light or depending on the subject and stuff. So when I go to a, a shoot, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I throw in like, you know, a grip bag and like you know, little, little tips and tricks. But I mean, all these things are accompanied by failures through, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. It's just right. failure after failure. It's like, okay, I'd never want to have that happen again because I have a lot of gray hairs and I probably lost like three years at the end of my life because of that, <laughs> you know, and it's just a company. So, you know, um, that's kind of where it comes from. It's like, my, oh, I know. I have a little tip and trick for that that I learned from this guy that I worked with, my God, like 10 years ago, you know? And it's, so it's just kind of, it's just a skill set, just like an electrician or a plumber. You just learn all these things and you have like little little tips and tricks and, and tools to accompany that and get get a good pro, good end product at the end of the day. When you, when you fail that first time, when you really just screw up, Right. And you're trying desperately not to let the client see or your peers see because the peers are the worst. Right. They'll never let you live it down. But in terms of like that screw up, does that instill such fear in you next time that you are a little bit gun shy or do you just like, all right, maybe this time I'll bring an extra battery and an extra lens. <laughs> like, how do you compensate for it? Or do you just suck it up and say, well, it is what it is. Next time I'll try not to do that. Where do you, where does that failure generally lead you? Is it to a place of overthinking next time or is it just at eh, chalk it up, you know, try not to do it again? I mean, for the most part, it's just like, Ooh, that hurts. Like it, you turn, you internalize it. Like, okay, well that sucks moving forward. But like moving forward, like I just have, like, it helps me build confidence at right. the end of the day, you know, like, I'm like, that's never going to happen again. Like, let's go. And like, to the point, your point, like when you do a failure, in front of a client stuff that's like a whole other acting that you have to have it's like yeah everything's fine you know it's cool like and i'm like trying to like i'm like how am i gonna fix this problem like in my head i'm like i don't have an extra extra battery you know you're you're like schizophrenic or i don't know you're just like trying to like be like everything's okay but you're like oh my god <laughs> you know <laughs> so i i totally get it it's happened quite a few times like this this past summer i've spent on the road um, filming at all these different ski resorts for a large company that's that makes snowmaking pipe. The job that that you helped me with five years ago, same company. Mm -hmm. So yep. doing this job and every place that I went to, Big Sky or Steamboat or Boyne, Michigan, whatnot, I'd go to these places and inevitably, no matter how much I tried to prepare, I would miss a shot or forget to get that thing because you get sidetracked and hey it'd be great uh -huh. to get this and like you forget the key shots thankfully i'm an overshooter like it's like uh -huh. hey just get this quick seven seconds for a real 
sure, I'll get seven terabytes of footage just so that we can <laughs> cut down to seven seconds, right? So I'm a career overshooter. Um, but that's really the only thing that saves me is is relying on my ability to overshoot and mask and edit and post. I don't rely on it, but it's just something that I hit a lot. Do you tend to do you tend to overshoot? Do you get way more than you always need? Or are you one of these these weirdos that knows the shots and you get the <laughs> shots for the edit and you're done? Where do, where do you land with that? Uh, I'd say like kind of like in the middle. I, I I love to overshoot, but like a lot of the times being in these run and gun situations for the clients, like you have minimal amount of time to get the shot. So like I'm trying to talk to the client about conversations about, you know, where they're going on vacation. But I'm like, okay, I need to get that shot, that shot, that shot, that shot. And um, so it's a little bit of both. And at the end of the day, I usually don't come back with <laughs> enough shots. Not enough shots, but like I'd love to overshoot and, you know, cover my butt. But it never – sometimes the schedule doesn't allow that. And I'm like, oh, I wish I was in that hallway. I get that one shot with that one sign. Or this person at the, you know, doing the corporate America talk up, pick up the telephone. Like, so – it's a little bit of both. So let's let's kind of scale back a little bit. Now, when you're on these jobs as a freelance videographer, and I know that you work, you know, for several different companies as kind of like a first yeah. first camera. I guess like being a lawyer on retainer, I suppose. Right? Pretty much working for some <laughs> yeah. of these companies, but I know that you're kind of you, you've got your own company and your own your own jam. But when you're on these these client locations and you're working either for yourself or for somebody else and the good idea fairy lands from the client and they start saying, you know, we should get this shot and we should do this and we should do that. And it happens sometimes in photography too, more on the commercial side, you know, an art director will start to, to really look at things and be like, you know, we need to change this whole thing up and it throws your plan for a loop. Where do you, from a professional standpoint, draw the line by saying, all right, this was our plan. This is what we we're going to do by changing it. Here are the consequences. How do you manage that thing? Cause it happens to all of us in oh, yeah. any creative pursuit, right? Video, photo, music, commercial voiceovers, whatever it is, something will go sideways. How do you yeah. generally manage that with the client? I mean, most of the time that happens when I'm hired, hired as a videographer for another company. So it's really easy because I'm like, hey, you know, we're kind of going off schedule. Like, you should talk to the producer. So I just like offset it. I'm like, I'm just I'm, yeah, just like that's their problem. Like, I'm doing, I'm here for this, this. But right. if you want to, that's a great idea. That sounds like an awesome project. But that's probably for another day and another day, right? Because I know you're just trying. Sometimes they they try to do that. They try to weasel in another project, like in the same day, right? You're like, I can't work twice as much, you know. Right. So just try to be nice and just try. I, for the most part, I just offset it. I'm like, hey, you know, like we're kind of getting off schedule for what we're actually trying to achieve for this project. Let's Again, just do that. It's dancing. It's that acting, right? It's that little yeah. bit of that little bit of customer service. What's been in the this past summer anyway? What's been your favorite job that you've worked on? I've seen you doing a, a bunch of stuff, um, oh a ton God. of interviews, like all over New England, all over the country. Yeah. Do you like the interview stuff? Do you like what you were doing with uh, was it's Greg's restorations, right? Where yep. he rebuilds the trucks, right? Yeah. Uh, Greg's restorations, or do you like you know the action adventure thing? Where do you, where do you find like when you get a job 
in one of those places, you're like, yes, I'm stoked to do this. Is doing interviews and getting into the documentary style, is that your thing? Or is it more the adventure being outdoors and getting really cool cinematic shots? Where's your kind of happy place when you're behind the camera? That's a that's a loaded question. I mean, because it goes back to like the, the, the diversity that my work entails. It's like, I love those sit down interviews. I love to spend the extra, you know, an hour and a half, two hours lighting it, lighting one interview, making it look really beautiful. Sometimes it's not, it's, it's running gun covering like a corporate event or I'm at a trade show. And, but I love those trade shows too, because um, I was, I was covering like this medical trade show in Anaheim over the summer. And it, it was really fun. Like it wasn't, I was there covering social media stuff. And I was like, this is like, I can't, I can't believe you guys flew me out here for this, but I love being a fly in the wall. And um, that goes back to like my 20, 19, 20 years of shooting, um, shooting weddings, you know? Right. Um, and, but I love the creativity of lighting stuff. And then going to, to note on Greg's, like, that's like, that's my baby. That's my egg. And that's like, I love it. It's three times the amount of work um, for, but I love it. Cause I, I shoot, edit, produce, and it's grown so much. It's grown his business, and like I need an editor at this point. So if anybody knows Final Cut <laughs> and wants to learn Final Cut, hit me up because uh, my workload backlog is I'm, ridiculous. Right but now. it's funny. I was thinking about contacting you the other day to to be an editor on one of my projects because I'm yeah. like, I just don't want to. I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> Talk about Greg's restoration a little bit. Give me the background on on who Greg is, how you fell into this, because I've seen some of the work and it's astounding. It's it's one of my favorite things when you guys come out with a new episode, dive onto YouTube, watch it, because it's like watching Top Gear. It's like watching, you know. <laughs> it's like, getting there. It's getting there. We're, we're trying to polish it. Being able yeah. to watch some of these things build out. How did you get involved with Greg and doing this particular project? Okay, well... Just to preface it, like Greg's Restorations is a um, vintage Toyota and Toyota pickup and or Toyota Land Cruiser restoration shop. But they do everything from 1930s Fords. Uh, we just did a 1969 Ford Mach 1 video. Um, so he does like pretty much any any kind of vintage car you want to do. He's been doing it for 12 years and he his company has blown up. He's got like 12 employees. We've been wow. doing the, the YouTube channel since like 2018. 2017 oh my god it's a long time and um yeah it's it's grown its business and all the guys at the shop are like why is adam here he's like well because every car here is because of youtube it's like it's insane he's out he's two years out so if you want to get a car restored by him save up your pennies and wait next two to three years because that's how long it's going to take wow. um but it's fun you know it's 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 been a challenge a lot of you time did the back to the future truck right that's correct yes that's one of his claim claim to fames is he has a client who, who collects car uh movie cars and he restored the toyota pickup that was screen use in back to the future yeah. uh, he's worked on the delorean that was in back to the future 3 he worked on the the risky business porsche no that kidding oh, yeah, that's that, that, that tom cruise sat in that sold for a ridiculous amount of money that's it's a whole <laughs> other story um yeah, but it's cool, and, and like I got into that because I I have a 1984 van again that I am constantly working on blowing up, and um, I I would drive by a shop because the shop's right by my parents' house in Central Massachusetts, and I was like, oh, there's an old van there, and I needed some work done, so I just kind of 
messaged him and I had some work done. And then I was like, I got to start doing some, some stuff that I love to do. I was kind of jaded in the wedding market and doing some corporate stuff. And I was like, I need to start doing some, some passion projects. So I just sent him a Facebook message one day and I was like, Hey, do you guys want any video? Like, I'm just thinking like, you know, just like do like a highlight video for his website and just like, Hey, this is great restoration. So they're like, Hey, we were thinking about actually have hiring a video company like this week. So swing on in. And it just, again, snowballed into, yeah, we want to do this video. We want to do this car, this car, this car. I'm like, Oh my God. So we've been working together for yeah, six, seven years now. I love it because I'm always learning about new cars, right. new different techniques. I get to hang out in the shop with the guys, you know, it's, it's really cool. So because it's a passion project and, you know, there's a lot of folks that I talk to a lot about how, especially on the photography side, about how you start to incorporate video into your work and how you charge for it and how you pick some of these projects and just start to build that video portfolio. For you, you know, knowing that this was a passion project, do you approach it with any level of finances in mind or are you just like this could be a really cool thing to work on i want to learn i want to shoot this for me and mm. maybe something will come of it or greg going into it is he like great you can come hang out with this and shoot this for free or we mm. have this budget without getting so much into the numbers of that particular project how do you navigate that space especially where you do a good job and they start asking you for more video mm -hmm but you've already built this friendship. How do you, you know, start to navigate that space? Cause I think we all find our, ourselves in that space at one point or another. How do you yeah. do something like that? Knowing that, you know, you've got 20 years of video experience behind you. So it's not like you're just rolling up there with an iPhone. So how do you generally go about that dance? Oh man. Like, yeah, the, the sales pitch, the front the end stuff, pitch. you know, I'm not good at the, the front end sales pitch of it, to be honest. Like you're asking the wrong guy, but at the same time I go into it, I'm like, yeah, this would be really cool. You know, like I think of like a, like a small project that yeah. I can do, you know, in my spare time and not lose a lot of money because hence time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if that goes really well, I'm like, Hey, you know, like this is, this, this is my normal rate. So this is normally the corporate thing that, you know, Yep. Corporate pays really well. Every project I do, I end up putting way more time than I need than I get paid for. But I love it. You know, I have yeah. to. If, if if I if I put my name on it, I have to like really polish it up. You sure. know, even if it's the the editing budget time isn't there. At the same time, I've been doing it for twenty years, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not an intern, and I have a mortgage, and I have bills, and right. health insurance, X, Y, and Z. You know, cause I'm freelance. I work for myself. I don't have benefits. You know, that's, that's kind of the front end of it too. You know, like it's a double-edged sword. I'm my own boss, but I have to, I've, I'm responsible too. Responsible. <laughs> Let's throw those air quotes up there. Sure. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still growing up. I get it. So it's always this, this weird place to be. Now I, I face the same thing. A lot of times I go into it. There's that part of me that just wants to do something really, really cool. Um, whether it's photo or video. And I just want to get that cool shot. And inevitably, it starts to grow. I think it all comes down to personal taste. How much did I like doing it? Do I want to do this again with this person? Did I jive with them? I thought it was going to be cool, but they're an absolute lunatic. I don't know if I want to be part of this anymore. I think we all have to do all these like really quick calculations is something I want to be involved in long term. Obviously, it's working for both of you because you keep doing it over and over and mm -hmm. over. Do you find that you like to do a series like that? 
or do you like the quick in and out in variety that freelance gives you? I mean, it, it comes to the balance too. Like Greg's like a lot, that's my consistent kind of passion project, but then right. all the corporate stuff is definitely in and out. Uh, yeah. They're like, Hey, we need a videographer next week. Can you fly to, you know, um, Pennsylvania or, or wherever? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I'm kind of like, like on a retainer, like I'm like a firefighter when the fire, yeah. I'll put it out for you. So it's a little bit of balance because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm working from home. Like I'm working from home right now, working on great stuff. But then, you know, I have a couple, I'm, you know, then I'm back on the road next week for, for two days for a shoot, for a couple shoots down in Massachusetts. So it's kind of a balance. And, you know, we're creatives and we can do and work with whoever we want. So I have a lot of passion, passions and projects. So I've kind of tried to accompany myself in those spaces, but not full time. I worked in the ski industry for 15 years and that kind of sucked like my love and passion for like snowboarding, you know? And I was like, I hate ski resorts. Oh my God, it's a corporate engine. So I kind of took a step back from that and now I go hiking in the woods. But note that too is I'm my own boss. So like if I work with someone and I don't like work with them, they call me back for work. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm busy, you know, you yeah, let them yeah. down easy, but you know, but th- that's the, that's the beauty of what we could do. Like I'm trying to like, I love fishing. So I'm trying to get into the fishing space a little bit more now, just, mm-hmm. just dipping my toes in. Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't want to go full time and get like suck the passion out of it, but I want to give back to what I love to do too. At the same time. Have you ever felt like you've just lost any sense of day-to-day style? Maybe after years of comfy clothes, you're wearing the same tired pieces over and over. You want to express your unique personality, but the mass-produced jewelry from big box stores just doesn't cut it. Well, that's the before. Now let's talk about the after. Imagine yourself looking and feeling great, your style elevated by a badass piece of handcrafted jewelry. But it's not just any accessory, it's a conversation starter, a statement of who you are. Every time you wear it, you feel empowered and confident and unique. Now, your jewelry is no longer just an afterthought, it's a key part of your personal brand. So how do you bridge the gap between the uninspired before and the stylish after? Well, it's simple, you just need to check out Cyanide Bunker. They create gorgeous, handmade, high-end metal jewelry. Each piece is an individual work of art, meticulously crafted right here in the USA. With Cyanide Bunker, you're not just buying jewelry, you're investing in a unique piece of art that represents your individuality. Start turning heads and making statements without saying a word. And the best part? You can easily browse and shop their collection online by visiting their website at cyanidebunker.com. Transform your style today with Cyanide Bunker. Their pieces may be sculpted from metal, but they're crafted for your character. I was watching some of your Waterville Valley videos. Uh, oh my god! Uh, this morning, oh Jesus! From like Christ. 2012, I think. Yeah, everybody's when, loving it when you yeah. were doing some of those, right? The, the, everybody's loving it, and the Waterville rampage. Oh and my god! Yeah, they were just like the lunatics. I think was oh the loony bit. Back. Yeah, dude. Oh so, my god! You're right. going deep. So watching all these these old videos of yours, and I was wondering, like, you've been really good about being able to maintain like doing what you love with a, with a camera and infusing your hobbies and not necessarily getting sick of it. And I was going to ask you if you're, you're wandering into the fishing space, the outdoor space, because I remember when I was walking around trade shows, outdoor shows, outdoor retailer or shot show or whatever these are, and they've got their, their fishing area, their hunting area, their tactical area, right? You've got all these camping areas, overlanding. It always seemed like fishing was, 
the redheaded stepchild of content <laughs> creation, right? Outdoor in general has become such a content heavy place. Do you find that the fishing realm, I know that content is being produced there and it's really starting to raise its profile. Where are you trying to find your niche in that world? Are you hoping to translate your fishing into more jobs or like with manufacturers or just, you know, maybe get a, a rod out of the deal, maybe a new motor every now and again? Like what's your, how do you approach shooting and then also positioning yourself in the industry to say, hey, here's what I do. How do you position that? That's a good. That's a good question. Like I'm, the, I, I, I don't sell myself at all. Um, right. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fly under the radar type of. That's kind of how I approach things. Yeah. I was I like to say that, like I was on a job recently, and they're like, "Hey, can, is there anywhere I can write a review?" I was like, "No, I don't exist anywhere." And but with that too is like in the fishing space, I want to approach it and get into it because I feel like it's a new challenge. I know how hard it is to be on the water, especially on the ocean, and film things and make it look really good and have good content. It's just the allure to it is yes, fishing because I love fishing and it's like the biggest dopamine high ever is just being on the water and like seeing, seeing fish, like seeing a school of like dolphins come out of the boat. You're like, Oh my God. Like I just love the ocean. So if I can surround myself with it and just kind of capture the magic that I see from it, like that's a win for me. And then if I slowly build a portfolio, then I can kind of go and try to sell myself to a few companies, but it's all about the network. And uh, what we have you, that I found unique is in new England, we have a, you have a network like for video and photo, like, and then in the fishing industry, I'm kind of growing that too. And it's just the kind of the challenge. I don't know where it's going to take me. Like just like anything in life, I just kind of have like a broad like place where I kind of want to go and just see where it goes. So dip my feet into it, get a few projects. I just shot a project this spring that I haven't done anything with. I shot this beautiful fly fishing uh, segment with a uh, breakwood fishing. My buddy, Larry, he brought me up, up in I didn't know anything about fly fishing or how, how to shoot it or how to approach it. This edit I put together is really nice. I'm like, okay, I learned so much, but I was like, I want to do it again now, you know? So like all those projects are pro bono, but at the same yeah. time I'm learning about fishing and different techniques and different spots that I won't, sh you know, that I don't want to do spot burn. Like fishing is a big soap opera, especially in Maine. I bet everybody around here mm -hmm. has their secret spot, right? I did a um, photo shoot for a family that had a, a secret fishing spot on their land here, like on the, on the cool. Androscoggin. So they took me to this place, but they're like, you, you can't tell anybody about this place. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, y'all take this really seriously. And it was, you know, a father mm -hmm. and three sons and they're out there and I've never been fly fishing. And I, you know, I, I, I understand the addiction and the allure of it, mm -hmm. but watching them, I really started to get it. And I don't think I got that ever watching without being there. I wouldn't have really understood the meditative nature of it, the yep. skill that's involved, right? The reasons that people do it. When I was there and shooting, I realized I was like, oh, I, I truly understand having not been someone, been someone that was raised on the water or fishing or boating. I'm learning about it a little bit later in life, which is why I'm so fascinated by it. <laughs> But I can imagine that when you're shooting something like that, you almost don't want that moment to end because you're getting mm -hmm. good stuff, great subjects. 
are you the person that's always pushing for that one more shot? I just, yeah, just capture, capture, just put me into the situation and see what happens. You know, it kind of comes with a run and gun uh, aspect of things. Like just shoot what happens and like, oh, that, that fish surfaced. I'm like, okay, that's how that works. I missed that shot, but hopefully we catch another one. You know, like it's a Bowman time. Like that's, that's, that's the beauty of these things. And especially with fishing, you get that one little, moment in time okay can we do that again you can't you can't recreate right, right. those things you know that that's a challenge of it that's that's what lures me to to try to shoot more content like that switching gears a little bit i was talking to someone the other day and they were telling me about a, a commercial photo job they were doing and it was for a really really large company and they brought in like two box trucks full of gear for what will essentially be four or five shots right mm -hmm. and they're bringing all these people in as someone that has worked as a kind of solo mercenary and someone that's worked on big crews, are you finding that the stuff that companies want today, is there this myth that you have to go overkill with these huge crews when you can really get the content that they need on one camera, maybe yeah. a small crew, maybe two or three people, right? Do we really need to have seven assistant directors here? Like, how are, you, <laughs> how are you finding, like, you operate in that environment? What are you seeing out there? I mean, like, the bigger crews, I'm like, wow, this is, like, a big, this is a lot of money, you know? But, like, big corporations love love to spend money. But at the end of the day, you don't need all that stuff. A lot of a lot of my work lately is is kind of one man band. I I love to have an assistant on shoot just to, just to kind of just help me set up gear, but for the most part, I'm rolling around Boston with my one cart and a one man band and I'm I'm making it happen. But at the same time like we get good content. It could like if you have two to three people and you stretch you stretch out normally clients like this crunch in all the interviews in one day. So I'm like running around trying to get and i'm like go back and i talk to the producer i'm like you know if we stretch this out for two days and it had like have had one extra person i could make it look so much more beautiful like i'm 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 rushing to set up a light i'm like i gotta put the microphone on him i'm talking to the client you know and like i'm just trying to catch the wave but if i'm set up and like i'm waiting for that one wave to catch the the, the product really stands for itself at the end of the day yeah, there's something definitely to be said for having a little bit of help, right? So that you can stay in the zone. You're able to focus on what needs to be focused on. I'm always curious about the bigger productions. The ones that I've been a part of just seem slow and laborious and yes. plodding yeah. along. And then you see the end result and you're like, we could have cut two or three days off this entire production. Absolutely. Or what you needed. I, I try to impress upon people you know, sometimes gear matters. Most of the time it doesn't. You know, having watched you work, having you help me on productions, um, seeing how you operate as a one-man band, I realize that the gear that you have makes a difference in some respects, mm -hmm. but you don't need all the things to produce mm -hmm. great content. The content that you wind up producing, are you seeing it more on the web? Are you seeing it broadcast where's your bread and butter like as you as you do more and more of these jobs is it predominantly web content that you're creating for these companies yeah i mean the most the majority of all my work is pretty much web um it's all compressed down like yeah it's mostly web a few things have gone to get some tv spots um some 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 artistic things have gotten like video lobbies like a 100 foot by 50 foot 
video wall we shot content around america for wow. that was a really fun project and to note that like you know i'm shooting on a C- c200 that's like my main camera and it's a really right. old camera like i'm waiting for canon to drop a new cinema camera but i'm not gonna buy c70 it's three year four years old so i'm just waiting yep. it out but so you don't need the latest and greatest and at the end of the day it's how you kind of present yourself in how the client experiences the day you know, if you're trying to fumbling and you, you don't know the gear and stuff like that stands out or you're stressed out and you're like, or you're just a freaking weirdo. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm a camera guy. You know, like <laughs> you're going to be like, that guy's probably stole a bunch of stuff from here and he's probably going to kill someone, you know, but it's about, about how you kind of present yourself on the day. And like, that's, that was kind of my training around 2005 to 2008 was like my, my big training. Um, I apprentice under like a one man band, Mike Savito film video. Shout out to you, the man. Thank you for everything. Seriously, he taught me everything. Like I didn't get any college credit for him, but he would pay me to go after class and watch him edit. Like I remember just sitting there for like three hours, falling asleep, just watching him edit, like how he does things. He took me under his wing and taught me everything. And then we worked, we did a lot of pharmaceutical work with a producer, uh, Charles Slacken. Thank you. Shout out to you too, man. But those guys, those two guys taught me literally everything how how I work today and carried carried myself through a lot of corporate. And uh, if if you're looking to get into the industry, like just contact some local pr- production companies and be like, hey, can I just PA for you guys? And like being a PA is is like going to college, especially if you work for a few different companies because you learn different tips and tricks for everybody. Mike Savito told me like right when I first started working there, he's like, just be a sponge, man, just be a sponge like everything and ask questions and don't, don't be afraid. I remember it took me like three, three months to figure out how to, <laughs> I throw those guys up a wall, but I could not figure out how to wrap a cable. Three months. He's like, no, you do the over and under. I'm like, huh? What? I was in my early twenties and in college. So I... it, it, what you're talking about is basically grip work, right? And yes, all yep. of the, you know, how to handle the equipment on a set, how to mm-hmm. properly set up a C-stand, how to properly wrap a cable, yeah. know what a stinger is, right? All the, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to go to, to art school or film school to learn a lot of this, but, you know, there are some of those basics that you only get from people that have worked <laughs> before you on this stuff. It's like, yeah. you know how you don't want to look like an idiot? Don't yep. do what you're doing. Do it this way. And, you know, it definitely <laughs> saves your bacon and you feel like, all right, now I'm in the cool kids club when I know how to do some of these things, right? But yeah, you sure. have to learn, you have to learn that if you're going to be on a set yeah. with anybody, right? And there's no real book for it. I, I, hate, I hate to accredit YouTube, but you could probably learn a few things with YouTube. But like I'm a lot of it, a lot of it is hands on. Like if there's a new kid, someone new on the set, I'm like, here's a C stand, open it up. And they're like, I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, all right, first, first trick. Like, I'm like, I, I show them how I do it. Cause like, See, they're big clunky pieces of metal and sometimes you're really really nice living rooms or you know you can't scratch the floor like a lot of a lot of little little tips and tricks that you just learn from being on set and like i love teaching you know like that i've always said it for the past 20 years is i would love to you know be a retired like i would just love to work at a college and just teach people 101 of this stuff because sure. there's no real college course on how to do it. Maybe an Emerson, but all the Emerson like people, they they just think they they just grow their egos at those schools. I feel like and not technique. It says a lot for the experience side, right? So I bump into this a lot with with newer photographers that 
have watched the YouTube videos, right? They're all Peter McKinnon out and they yeah. kind of know the lingo and what to do, but there's just no depth behind them. They haven't failed enough, right? And that's not a judgment. It's just like yeah. you've got you've to fail forward a bunch of times. And then suddenly you have that thousand yard stare and you're like, oh, they've seen some shit, right? <laughs> um, but at the, at the beginning, um, it's not enough to just know the lingo. You've got to be aware of, like you said, if I'm working in somebody's living room, I can't just barge in there and do the same thing that I'm doing all the time. Mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of the intangibles about production that you do have to know. And when it comes down to education, yeah, there really is no place to get that from a true experience like this person is wise. They're not just parroting something else they heard someone say. They are wise because they've lived it and they've done it. And so, yeah, I would I would sit for hours with you and just watch whatever education you have on the realities of being a freelance videographer, because mm -hmm. it's not just have camera will travel. There's so much that goes into that as you start to become the journeyman and the expert and then the, you know, the wizard on top of the mountain at some point down the line. <laughs> With that, what are two or three of the best things that you've ever picked up, right? That kind of mm -hmm. blew your mind. Was it in editing? Was it in set? Was it a shot? Was it, did you learn what an ND filter was at some point? Like what was the, what were two of the three of the things that really struck you that changed, you know, your whole world when you, when you learned about them? All right. I'll start with the easy one. And the, the first one is just, just being aware of light natural light like just looking looking at the sun looking at like you know er, that's why i wake up early morning and hang out at sunset because there's this beautiful light that time but that accompanies in like how to actually bring that light into indoor and use lights creatively and how to key light how to backlight just 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 do that naturally on the fly like oh in this room i would like i would use the key light and just bounce off the ceiling here and then but the second one is just video editing in general like it is a craft it is it will take you years to become a good editor but there is a demand for it like i a lot a lot of my running gun hey can you edit this next week can we can you crank this out like yep that's my bread and butter right now it's just it's, it's just being able to edit uh just learning the techniques Final Cut X, I know every keyboard command. I am like Mozart on that on that thing. You know, I can crank stuff out. I can skim through footage. Like, I know every little thing in and out of it. Thanks to Mike Savino. Again, if you're getting into video, especially on the photographer side, I know I've talked to a lot of photographers, and they're like, editing. I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to edit. I'm like, that is baseline. Yeah, you can flip over your DSLR and shoot a, shoot a few clips, but if you can't tell the story with the, with those ingredients, you need to go get a new, new oven or something, you know. And yeah, this is definitely one of the things that I wanted to dig into, and this is a whole other episode in and of itself, editing, absolutely, and, and, and storytelling, right? When I'm teaching, I always start with story. What mm -hmm. is the story of the problem you're trying to solve? What is the client need? What is the what is the vision that you're trying to bring to life? Storyboard that out as much as you can. Use. Google images, use mid journey, like whatever, just storyboard mm -hmm. it out. As you start to shoot, you're not overshooting, right? You're kind of shooting for the edit and then you get a couple yeah. more shots here and there. Mm -hmm. But when it comes time to edit, as long as you've been strong on the vision and the story, the edit should generally come together from a story perspective. Now where it gets into all the heavy lifting, right? Is how efficient are you? 
Um, how's your audio? What's your sound design look like? How's your color theory? How's uh -huh. your transitions? When people think editing, they're like, I'm just going to take what I saw in the back of the camera and link them all together. It'll just be one straight series. That's not really the way to edit. It is an editing approach, but it's uh -huh. not really the way to edit. And like you were saying, when you're crafting the story, being able to know that tool, I think the most intimidating thing for editing for people is learning that new tool, learning the vocabulary. I yep. don't want to spend the time to learn how to edit in Final Cut or learn Adobe. People ask me that all the time. They're like, do you edit in Adobe? I'm like, nope, I edit in Final Cut because I've been doing it since Final Cut like six studio Same. years ago. I know that product. I am not going to try to learn Adobe's language. I can muddle through it if mm -hmm. need be, Same. but I am slow and clunky where in Final Cut I can move quickly. Yep. So when it comes to editing, if you could distill editing down to one thing from a, an efficiency standpoint, what is a, the best possible workflow for you once you have all your footage shot? Uh, I mean, for example, for like Greg's, Greg's stuff, I got it. Sometimes it's like four or five years of footage. Sometimes it takes four or five years to, to complete a build. Yep. But we, we, we drive around in the car and shoot an interview. So baseline is I take that, that, that interview clip and I throw it in the timeline and I go through and I just start chopping up that clip. I'm sure. like, okay, he's talking about the body or the engine. And I just go through and I just, I put um, just little, little notes on each one of those clips. Yep. So I'm like, okay, this is the kind of the storyline, but I want to take, you know, the motor and put it be before the body. So I kind of create the story from that. And then I'll maybe mix some music roughly. And then I'll just start kind of just putting putting B-roll in different sections and building things. And then I'm like, okay, I'll send it to the client. And they say, oh, we need to put this, 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 this. So there's a few rounds of revisions that kind of go through. But baseline is is telling the story first. Tell, taking what he talks about, taking out all the ums and ahs and making them sound concise. Because we never sound concise. I'll, you know, shoot from the hip first, first try. So no, I think that's I think it's a really good point. I think a lot of folks think that they can just shoot the footage and the story will tell itself. So I like that approach of get the story from the client, get the interview done, and then use that as the base to tell the rest of it. And the yeah. great thing about it is we can chop things up and you can move statements in different places, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to edit this video that you and I are filming right now, there are probably points that I would shift around to tell the story of the interview a little bit better. And yep. that's totally okay. Yeah. But it's also listening for those moments to say, oh yeah, that should actually go up front. Or that's that's the ending quote that's gonna end the 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 film and there it is, there's that moment and you flag those out. Do you do much sound design yourself? <sighs> not really. I mean, in terms of sound design, not really like I have a few websites where I download music so I can use it on the web that's licensed free. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, um, sound design, I know a lot of re really good musicians and stuff, and I never really picked up any of that. Um, I just really like music. And uh, no, I don't record anything. That's how you started. Weren't you going to like punk shows and filming? Like, isn't that where you started? Or skate videos? Is that what you started with? Yeah. When I was like 12, I would steal my dad's camera and, 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 and uh and film my friend skateboarding and then that, that that how that's how i got into filming um cky bam argera um pre-jackass yeah. i was like 
Oh my God. So I, we had a skateboard team, RK rank clothing. Um, I built my, I built my own video editing computer. I taught myself Photoshop. Like that's how I kind of got into it. Post-college when I graduated, I quit all my jobs. And then I was a band roadie for a couple of years for a few different tours. Um, so I traveled the country doing that. Just they're like, Hey, Matterville, come on tour and just, just hang out and you film a little bit if you want. A lot of the footage will never see the light of day. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that was America 101. And yeah, my parents were really thrilled when I told them that. But, you know, the guy with the best <laughs> stories at the end of the day wins, doesn't he? So yeah. I think, you know, if you're collecting stories, it's not necessarily such a bad thing. You're done with weddings, right? Like you've taken a huge step back from weddings. Yeah. All right. So I, I say that not to not to go down the wedding route, but a lot of photographers and videographers at weddings are, they can either work together really well or, <laughs> oh, man. or pure oil and vinegar, right? Oh, oh, and I know you've seen both sides. Yeah. So how do you navigate that dynamic? <laughs> and when do you know that it's either going to be an awesome day or it's going to go off the rails? Oh, like, man. Well, it, 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 it's a double-edged sword. I mean, man. Sprayed up some PTSD for me. Like, holy <laughs> shit. Okay. So photographers and videographers, yeah, they have they usually have a bad rap. And I, I second shoot, so I just show up and I'm like, okay, right. who's the second shooter? Because I'm usually with the guys. I'm like, oh, they're pretty cool. And you know, normally the first the first it like two or three interactions, I'm like, okay, they're gonna be difficult and I'm not gonna like them, or like this is gonna be an awesome day. And I, I go into it with a cup full of optimism. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? You know, this is gonna be great. Like, this is kind of how I do it. I'm a fly in the wall. I don't exist, you know, but don't get in my fucking shots, you know, right. like at the same way, like, like, like just have some spatial awareness and oh my God, some photographers don't. And like, I've almost gotten into some fist fights before. Like, I've been like, I'm okay. really easy going, but like, you have to push me over the edge. And if you do my God, <sighs> I haven't like told people off, but like, I could be very passive aggressive the rest of the day and just stare at them and like let them know that they are just absolute pieces of shit. And <laughs> I hate to say it, but like I I hate some photographers and I'm like, oh my god, it's that photographer again. Here we go. There's there's the back of the head right. all day. I'm I'm over six feet tall. You can see me. Yeah, you're not you're not hard to miss. You could probably flip it around and talk to a photographer. Be like, there are some videographers who just oh, get into dude. a shot all the yep. time. And I've 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 second shot. I've never been a primary on a wedding, but I've second shot. I get to see. It's a wonderful place to be when you have zero responsibility except show up and and press some <laughs> buttons. I'm all over the second shooter gig. But by watching the interactions between these two independent teams, basically that have the same job, right? Get the shot on that day. I've just always found it curious that there's such a, a, a competition between the two yeah. when, when you see it done well and there's a proper dance between the videographer and the photographer, you both get these incredible shots because you're mm -hmm. seeing through each other's eyes. And so I, I was just curious if there was... <laughs> so I, I, was right, I was straight to the negative thing, but yeah, there is a good dance in like some photographers, I'm like, oh yeah, in, in, and then like, you know, they're like, oh, we worked well together. We should try to like network and, and work together. And it is a dance and it's a really nice thing when you are able to work with a photographer and the same thing because video and, and photo for like, you know, the portrait sessions are always the most stressful. Sure. You get 15 minutes because the timeline's all wacky and the photographer has to get their portfolio shot. But like I'm shooting 24 pictures a second. I need like at least 
like, give me a minute. And at the same time, it goes back to the corporate thing and the client experience. It's all about their day. At the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter about your ego and like you're getting the shot for some magazine. It's about their day. It's all about them. It's about their experience. No one cares about if you're going to get that photo in, in a magazine or you're going to get this super sick edit and everyone's going to like it on Instagram and you're going to get tons of gigs afterwards. So the day, it's not like chop down your ego. It's all about them. Have some fun with it and bring snacks. You need to bring snacks. That's the thing. That's the only type of advice that someone that's been in the trenches can give. <laughs> bring snacks. Bring snacks. Your body's <laughs> going to get it. You're going to need it. Trust me. The wedding planner is going to forget to feed you at the end of the day. And Would you rather fly a drone and just sit somewhere and look at a small screen <laughs> than run around run around a wedding? Because I've seen you do both. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love to sit around flying a drone. I wish I just shot photos because you guys just carry around like one camera. And just I'm like, dude, I second shot oh, photos. I'm like, this is so easy. You guys got it made. Like, here I have, like, I have to bring like three cameras and all this crap. And then like struggle to get audio, and you guys are like, oh, I'm gonna take a picture of this. And then All right, so let it be oh, let it be known that Adam thinks the photographer's job is easy. For contacting Adam, send that to info at below below. <laughs> love, love the talk shop, <laughs> but I'm out of the game. You know, I have right. I'm second shooting for like two and think next year. You got to make it really. You got to make it worth my while to go back into the wedding thing. For I sure. get it. I get it. So so. What's what's next for you? I know you you ran mm. Metterfest this summer, right? Which is kind of like a, a road biking. Let's call it Burning Man meets road bikes meets <laughs> the middle of Portland, Maine. Is that about is that about what it? Yeah, comes I mean, yeah. I was like, you know, I was just having a few drinks one night, and I was like, I, I was always having this idea. Of like, I just want to get all my friends together and show them how sick Portland is in the in the bike scene. I got big into biking about five years ago, and I'm like, yeah. How can I get all my degenerate friends together? I'm like, okay. I'm like, Metterfest. Metterfest spawned from, I used to have parties in high school. I used to call them Metterfest. They're pretty sweet. So to make it a little bit better and more mature, I was like, all right, if we're going to do Metterfest, we'll do a, do a little biking weekend. And then everybody chips in, you know, 20, 30 bucks. And then I'll donate it to, you know, um, a charitable bike thing that's in the, in the city. So it's just kind of an excuse for my, me and my friends to get together and, ride bike and raise a little bit of money and have a little fun. So we're going to be doing one next spring for sure. Come bike. It's super fun. It's really weird. If I could last the distances. And I was like, maybe I'll go, maybe I'll go hang out with Adam and bring my bike. And, <laughs> um, and then they were like, Oh, we did 137 miles today. I was like, they can take the footage. I'll watch it afterwards. Um, I'm not, I don't drive that far to go see my parents. I know. I never thought I'd be getting into it. But yeah, long <laughs> bike rides. They're fun, man. Like they're scary at first and they kick your ass, but like it keeps you in shape. You know, I'm getting older. I'm starting to see my mortality. So it's, um, and I don't live in the mountains, so I can't hike mountains all the time. So it's a good, good transition. What's next for you? Man, I'm just kind of just, I don't know, I'm kind of still in a transitional period. Everybody wants to shoot a movie. I mean, right. all said and done, like I have a couple movie ideas that I, they're just in the brainstorm phase. There's one that's going to be, if if I'm ever really put the pen to paper, it's going to be a really good story. Just to be creative, just to live life and experience everything that there is. But with that too, like I want to get more into the TV space, even though it's going to be a pay cut and stuff. But I love those bigger crews. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but last year I was 98% sure 
close to going on life below zero and living in a tent in Alaska. You were um, built for that. Yeah. I, uh, they're like, it's cold. I was like, you have no idea. I, I, I need to be there. So like, you know, getting into like the TV space, like more higher production stuff. I know that will make me have to maybe leave Maine. But you leave Maine all the time. You go on. <laughs> I know. I'm, right? I'm, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's good. To, it's good to have Maine as a home base though. This is living on the road is, is not as bad as people make it out to be. I love, I love being out on the road. Where can, where can everybody find you? I know you said like you don't exist online, but since yeah. we're, as we're doing this, yeah, at least have a website. I got a website, adamedaville.com. Log on today. It's a little rudimentary. I've been meaning to do a, a, a revamp, but it's there. It gets the job done. It means I exist. My Instagram's, I think, adam.medaville. And that's pretty much it. Be happy that you don't have an online presence that you have to manage. Oh, yeah. Be happy. Every now and again, you'll pop up on social media. I'm like, oh, my God, he's alive. Okay. It's yeah. I'll check <laughs> yeah. back in, in, you know, in June. And see if he's still around. Yeah, I mean, like, with that, to speak to that too, like life online is, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I know I a few years ago, I, I deleted my Instagram totally and just went offline for six months. And it was the most freeing thing ever. Like, oh, I'm experiencing this sunrise. I'm catching this fish. And just to do it because it's a moment in time and I don't need to like brag about it or make myself look cool or just like do something just for the likes, you know, like... That's not what life's all about. Life's about experiencing all these things firsthand. And yeah, maybe maybe capturing it, you know, because like we are creatives and in, in, in showcasing that. But man, it goes by so quick and there's so much to do out there. Like, don't just get stuck into watching TikTok videos all day. Dude, it's, it's the worst. And it's, you know, whenever I do stumble across something that you're doing, it does make me drop the phone and be like, oh, you know, he's out living life again. You know, what am I doing? I'm I'm still in bed and I'm looking at TikTok and I'm like, oh, right. man, oh, I, I, trust me, I'm like, I have this, I get sucked into it too. And like, I'm but, like oh, I haven't left the house for four days. I should probably go do something. You'll probably go yeah. do something. But that's the thing that kind of jolts me out. And I'm just kind of like, all right, let me get out. Let me get out into nature because Adam yeah. said it's good for you. So <laughs> stupid walk for my stupid mental health and like- get, get outside, right? Like, Hey, I'm the same way, man. Like if I wasn't, well, actually my dad's coming tonight and I have to go up to camp today for the whole weekend to winterize it I'm like, oh, out of office. Cause you know, I am my own boss. So, mm-hmm. you know, should be editing. There's always editing. It's always going to be there, but there's always editing and th- there it is. There's, there's a title for the episode. There's always editing to do. Thank you for being here, man. Like this is a, this is a ton of fun. I'm glad we had yeah, a chance sure. to catch up. And if you're, you know, you're heading up North and you want to ski, the, the house is finally habitable. So you can come <laughs> through and crash here and bring the dog. And yeah, and man, that'd be great. Dog. Yeah. I know winter's here. Let's do that. Let's go to Mount Abram or something. And considering it's, oh, it's, I'm looking outside and it's snowing pretty heavy right now. It may happen sooner rather than later. So I'll, I guess we'll, we'll see dry ground again in May at some point. <laughs> um, but for the next six months, this is what we got. So sure. thank you, Adam. I really appreciate you being here, man. And I'll, yeah, uh, sure. I'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good, man. Hey there. Can I ask you a favor? If you're loving every minute of the show, and I hope you are, then subscribing is like becoming an honorary member of an exclusive club. Subscribing means you'll never miss a single episode, and trust me, you won't want to miss what I have in store. But here's the extra special request. I'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a five-star review. Your review is like a virtual high five. It lets me know I'm on the right track and helps others discover the show too. Your feedback and support mean the world to me. I read each and every review, 
and they inspire me to keep bringing you the best content possible. So grab your phone and show some love with that five-star review. It's quick, it's easy, and it makes a huge difference. Thanks so much for being an amazing listener. Together, let's keep the conversations going. Subscribe, review, and let's make this podcast journey unforgettable.